Welcome to Rise to Liberty Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Johnson. Our guest today is a man of many hats, but his best one is a large yellow top hat. He is an international speaker promoting the ideas that taxation is theft, the individual is not government property, and that individual freedom is paramount to the government. He ran for president in 2020 and is currently running for governor of Texas. Ladies and gentlemen, my friend, Dan, taxation is theft Berman. How you doing today? I'm doing awesome. How are you doing? Oh, not too bad. Hanging in there, you know, just uh, <laughs> dealing with this crazy world that we now live in. Oh, yeah. So, uh, let's see. I'm going to start this off kind of interesting. So, right. usually when I talk to... Uh, when I talk to a lot of different people about the ideas of liberty, um, I usually get a lot of, uh, well, I don't, I don't care. It doesn't affect me. So why should anyone care about their liberty? That's a really interesting um, issue that I've, I, I really struggled with that myself for a while. And because, you know, I'm, I'm with the libertarians and I'm running for office several times and I'm like, you know, how like let's let's make everybody free. Let's let's win elections. Let's just go tell everybody. Yeah, we're pro freedom, pro freedom. And the reality is for most people who are out there, like they already believe they're free because they're able to do whatever they want to do. It's just that they don't want to do that much. Um, yeah. And so, you know, and then the things that you suggest, the well, you can't do this, you can't do that. It's, you know, they usually have a good reason why. Well, if everybody just did what they wanted, then, you know, there'd be chaos and anarchy and all these bad things. Um, and so really, like what I've struggled with myself and, and how I've had to kind of transform my messaging is to show people how their lives could be better if it weren't for government. And that's that's really difficult because for everybody it's different. Um, but once you once you kind of shift your mindset into that, um, you realize you have to communicate with people completely differently. But you get through to so many more people. So, for example, um, uh, let's let's forget about the right for now because in general, a lot of people say you know the the right is you know they like freedom, they like their guns, they you know that kind of stuff, and so they more align to like the the libertarian side of things. Um, but the left has always been the enemy and, and, you know, this is, this is really difficult. And even, even when you have left libertarians within the libertarian movement, those, those kind of people are, you know, oh, there's no such thing as a left libertarian. Um, there's all kinds of these things that come out because left, left usually has to do with let's collect more money in taxes so that the government can create more programs. Um, but the reality is if you talk to a lot of people on the left, they have legitimate concerns. So let's take healthcare, for example. Healthcare is ridiculously expensive. Um, and when you point out like, hey, okay, let's just talk about healthcare for a minute. Um, I'm able to buy insulin in Mexico for $12 that costs normally $100 in the United States. Why is that? And, you know, they'll say, oh, well, it's the greedy corporations in the United States. Well, actually, the brands that I buy in Mexico and Canada, by the way, um, are... Um, the same brands that you buy in the United States. So why are they more expensive in the United States? Oh, well, greedy corporations. What? Well, hold on. <laughs> are you saying the corporations that are making the same product are less greedy in Mexico and Canada? Um, no, obviously not. They're just as greedy all around the world. 
And so why is this? Why is it actually that it's more expensive in the United States? And the only explanation is government. It's the policies they have on importation, on drug regulation, on competition, and all these other things. And when you start pointing this out, then the obvious answer becomes, okay, let's get rid of those government policies. Um, you know, let's let's forget about, you know, the Obamacare and the Medicare for all and all these other social social programs. Um, let's focus on getting the cost down first, because obviously, you know, if you get the cost down first, like even if you have a social program, it's going to go a lot further than if, you know, the prices are extremely high because for whatever reason they're, you know, you like, yes, you're collectively putting all this money in this socialist pot and then you're using that to buy healthcare, but you're still paying ridiculously high prices, which means you're still buying less of it. They understand that, right? So if you yeah. look at it like this and you say, look, if we eliminate these programs, um, then then you actually can connect with the left, but you really just have to find what it is. And it's, you know, all of the left isn't the same. There are some people that care about healthcare, others that care about cost of living. And this is something that you can address as, as an issue of, you know, less government would reduce the cost of living. It would increase your income, which is essentially what the the minimum wage, you know, increase the minimum wage is increase my income, right? Well, how else could you increase your income no. remove the taxes? Um, so, you know, there's there are definitely ways to connect with people. It's just a lot more complicated than trying to say, oh, how about some freedom? Because that line is not drawn between freedom and more affordable health care. Well, also, a lot of people tend to say things like, well, let's just raise the minimum wage. Like, why wouldn't they? I mean, on the surface, that sounds terrific. Of course, just give people more money and that will solve the problem. But it never does. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, uh, there's there's no plan that is ever really that well thought out. Um, there's uh, <laughs> I'll give you an example. Something that's like very petty and extremely local is in in my HOA. Um, I just had to listen to these people trying to explain why we should have mandatory home insurance and you know their thing is you know what if a hurricane comes through here and and knocks a house down or what if a sinkhole comes in and like takes a house out um you know we don't want our neighborhood property value going down because there's an ugly sinkhole where there used to be a house so people should be <laughs> insured so that when that happens they're going to rebuild it and i'm like i don't care if you have your house completely covered by the best insurance company if a sinkhole takes it out the insurance company is not they're, they're going to reimburse the cost of the house. They're not going to pay to fill in an entire sinkhole and rebuild the same exact house on top of it. It's not going to happen. And so, like, but but that's not their thought process. They don't think things all the way through. They just have this, like, very basic, like, oh, well, if everyone has insurance, then the world is all going to be sunshine and rainbows and butterflies, and it's going to be amazing. But that's and, and it's the same thing with increasing minimum wage or Medicare mm -hmm. for all or like like any of these programs. Yeah, they sound great. But in practical terms, when they're actually implemented and you have like all these different and especially when you have a program that like you're going to. Well, it's a very simple program. Yes, it's a very simple program, but you're going to apply it to 350 million people who are, you know, oh, well, this person has um, a certain health issue that is not addressed by this yeah. very simple program. Or this person has a, a religious um, objection to this very simple program. There's With 350 million people, you're going to have a lot of objections. And those are the parts that we don't think it through. So um, that's that's really, you know, that that's kind of it. We need to think these things through a little bit better. And how are they going to affect other people? 
So at that point, it really is like a argument between this greater good and the individual. So as a proponent of individual freedom, why is the individual more important than the collective good? I mean, if something is more important, that's really kind of subjective, right? Um, I mean, there, there's a million kind of philosophical debates you can have on this. Why, why are human beings more important than the whales, right? Like, you know, we're, like, why are human beings more important than chickens? Why do we get to kill chickens? It's wrong to kill a human being, but we kill chickens so we can eat them. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of arguments to be made about, oh, well, we're a superior intelligent being, we're, the, we're this and that. Um, and it's like, like, none of this really makes sense. And so if some other, if some other being came to, you know, let's say aliens come to, 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 um, our planet and they're superior in intelligence to us, does that mean like, we're just going to say, oh, well, they're superior. They have, they have superior intelligence. <laughs> they have superior strength. And so therefore let's just, we're, we're lower on the food chain. They can do whatever they want. No, we're going to fight for that. And we're going to say like, no, this, that's not allowed. We are uh, you know, no. this is our race. We're going to fight to defend ourselves. And I'm sure if chickens could, they probably would too. Um, but, you know, a lot of this is kind of subjective. Um, but what you have to look at is, you know, what I think is probably one of the most important things is, would you like it if somebody did that to you? It's kind of, you know, if we if we take the premise that all men are created equal and women um, and everybody in between. If we if we take this premise that we're all equal, right, would you want someone doing that to you? And you can't just say like, OK, um, you know, I'm I'm against this thing. And so I would like to ban this for everybody else and then ask the question, would I be OK if everyone did that to me? Because, oh, of course, I'd be OK if they banned me from using that thing that I don't like. Right. No, we have to take into consideration. What if they ban something that you do like and it's not something that harms anybody else? So um, th this is something that's really important, but it's also really important to understand that that especially when we have a quote unquote democracy, um, we, we have to understand that democracy literally means majority rule. And so what is the protection for the minority? If you're in the one percent or the forty nine percent, what is to protect you from this this greater group and if you were to say, you know, majority rules, that's all we need, you really wouldn't need government in the first place, right? Because, um, you know, who's going to stand up for the little guy? Well, it doesn't matter because majority rules over the little guy. The little guy is insignificant. You don't need anything like government to protect them. So supposedly government was created to protect the minority to some degree um, to say like, yeah, you know what? This person has rights. And even though you have more strength and power and more numbers, you should not trample that individual's rights. Um, and, and, you know, this, this all comes from, you know, everybody is the individual. Nobody wants a group of their entire neighborhood to come to their house and say, yeah, you know what? We don't like this thing that you do. And so therefore we're going to throw you in a cage. I'm the, I'm the only person who does this thing. Oh my God. All these people, they want to throw me in a cage because I do this thing. Should I stop doing this thing? Because these people just don't like it. It doesn't bother them. For the most part, they don't even know about it. If it weren't for my next door neighbor who caught me one time and now he's out telling the whole neighborhood. Um, <laughs> like, wh like, what does it yeah. matter to all of them? But they're just like, ooh, you know, witchcraft, whatever. They, they, they come up with some argument to like say like, oh, this person shouldn't be doing this thing. Let's throw him in a cage or let's burn him at the stake. 
And and this is really what it's what it comes down to. And it's like, wait a minute, guys. This this whole thing works in circles. One day this person's the minority, the next day somebody else is the minority. And we want to have a truly civilized society where we're not burning witches and doing all this ridiculous stuff. We have to understand that any individual, if if we want to be protected as individuals, we have to protect others as individuals also. And and that's that's kind of um that's kind of the the most important thing. We have to stop thinking as collectives and what what would we do if I were in his shoes? Because ultimately it's always going to it's always going to come back around to you. Well, and that's the point I've tried to make to people as I myself am a libertarian. Uh never run for office, but you know, I'm highly involved within the party and so I have a lot of these conversations. And trying to convey the message that if they come after one person's rights, that is also that person's rights as well. Like you come after somebody, uh, their right to be able to say something, whether you agree or disagree with it. That's also your right to be able to say that thing. Now you probably won't because you disagree with it, but it's everyone's rights and they're, they're natural rights. They're not permissions, which seems to be a, uh, very common misconception these days that we get permission to have these rights from the government. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's difficult too because, you know, we're having, we're sitting here, we're having kind of a philosophical discussion about these things. And the truth is to most people, um, they're, they're not interested in that. And I've actually read some really great books by really great lawyers who basically will say, you know, it, it's, it's not about the evidence in the case. Like at the end of the mm-hmm. at the end of the day, when you're talking about winning a case, it all comes down to emotion, right? You want to get people emotionally involved in whatever story because that's the story that they're going to be all wrapped up in and that they're going to believe, and that's going to make them decide guilty or not guilty. Um, and it's 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 kind of sad because we should be looking at the facts, we should be looking at things objectively, but most people just don't do that. Um, they're not trained to do that. And of course, like even, even you and I, like we have our emotions, right. And and as, as much as we'll try to make, you know, philosophical decisions, um, you know, at the time of, you know, something, something happens, um, you know, if, if we haven't conditioned ourselves to react in a certain way, our emotions are just going to like flip into fight or flight. We're going to behave a certain way. There's the whole, um, you know, what are you going to do? What would you do if somebody broke into your house right now? And some people will answer a certain way, but if you, and and this is, this is what's important with like military training, police training, they, they make you actually go through these scenarios. If you've never been in the scenario where somebody's like kicks your door open and you're like, okay, this is what you do. And you rehearse going through it. Like you can be asked, what would you do in that situation? And and you'll, you'll put your thinking hat on and you'll give an answer. But when it actually happens, if you haven't trained yourself to get into that state of mind, you're not going to jump into the, hmm, what do I do? You're going to, you're going to act on, you know, basically an emotional level and, and whatever response you have, um, condition is going to be what, what you're going to actually do. So, um, you know, even, even though we have this, it's, it's really difficult to, um, uh, to kind of separate ourselves from our emotions but we have to understand that's that's kind of how like the general public thinks. And that's that's why, um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier my whole my whole um, philosophy about messaging and, and how we talk to people has has shifted. Um, it's really because of that. 
it's it's you know we yeah. like i i hate to say that we can only communicate with people on an emotional basis but that is at least how we get our foot in the door and yes we can take it to the next level after that and we can teach common sense we can teach philosophy and and all this other stuff um but we need to be able to make an emotional connection to where you know people you know they like you they say oh this guy supports, you know, my most important issue is healthcare, and this guy wants to fix the healthcare system. So I'm willing to listen to him. And once you have that, that you know, even the beginning of that relationship made, then you can start teaching the, you know, the philosophy or the logic behind it, and then you can actually start making, you know, rational decisions and even training rational decisions before you know the the fight or flight comes in, which is which also happens at the ballot box, yeah. right? Who do I vote for? Uh, I don't know. Well, uh, there's a guy breathing over my shoulder. I got to vote and get out of here. So let me just punch whatever I can without like, oh, I didn't do the research. I don't know who this guy is. You know, if, if you or, you know, I don't know what are the consequences. Should we raise taxes for schools? Oh, yeah, it sounds like a great idea. And if you haven't been through that thought process to like, you know, like we were saying earlier, like, OK, yeah, raising taxes to, to give more money to schools. That sounds like a great job. But then like you don't you don't think down the line. Oh, does like which which taxes? Um, how is that going to affect me? Is my rent going to go up? Is my paycheck going to get smaller? Like if you're not thinking these things ahead and you're just at the ballot box and you just read schools, great, you're going to vote for that without thinking it through, and that's that's kind of where it gets dangerous. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's it's really interesting just the response from people, you know, and, and I've I've come to learn that. Uh, there are some people who just aren't going to want the responsibility of liberty. And, you know, it's kind of heartbreaking to me, but I guess that's their choice as an individual. I would just choose differently, but, you know, usually I'll and keep my opinions to myself or sometimes I won't. Yeah, and, and so. I mean, that's fair, too. I mean, re realistically, like, you know, if we want to be non-authoritarian we shouldn't force a liberty lifestyle on somebody else also like if they want to be um you know if they if they like you know uh you you've got people who say i want to create a business i want to run a business i want to make the decisions i want to say what well, you know how things are going to work and then you have other people who are just like i don't really care just tell me what to do and i'll do it and mm -hmm. so you 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 have those two different types of people and some of those you know just tell me what to do and I'll do it. That carries over into their, you know, how they live their life and, and, you know, as it relates to, you know, their, their healthcare decisions and everything else. So like, I don't want to deal with it. I want, I want the government or somebody else to deal with it for me and to forcefully take that away from everybody, of course, is interfering with their lifestyle. So really like what's, what's the actual solution is to say, okay, look, if you want someone to make all these decisions for you, that's fine. Just they're not allowed to make those decisions for me because I don't want them to. And we just yeah. have to like, we, we kind of have to be accepting to that. Um, and, and it's, you know, and it's really difficult, especially when you start looking at, um, at, you know, bigger cities and you see this, it, I mean, it's, it's fascinating when you look at the map and it's like the bigger the city, the bluer it gets, because it's like, yeah. you know, you, you have a completely different mentality. You have people who are like, well, why don't the police just deal with this? Nobody needs guns because there's a police station two blocks from every corner. Like, no matter where you live, two blocks away. But if you live out in the country, the police are an hour and a half away. So there's a big difference between how somebody is going to vote on whether or not we need gun rights, whether, you know, the police are two minutes away or an hour and a half away. 
Um, and, and that's that's something that we have to take into consideration. And, you know, this is this is a great argument for localizing these laws instead of yeah. instead of trying to make them global. Um, whether they should be politicized at all or not is another story. But but, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you've got people who are in these big cities like New York and Los Angeles saying, yeah, let's ban the guns because we've got police everywhere. And then you've got people in like rural, rural Oklahoma who are saying like, ban guns. What? No, do that in your city, in your state even. (laughs) Don't do that here. We don't want that here. Um, But there's no consideration for that. Yeah. So to switch gears here just a little bit, uh, my biggest wake up call was finding finding out exactly what the Federal Reserve is. A private bank that virtually counterfeits money and it's actually not money and it's debt. So what's your opinion on the Federal Reserve? And did you also have the same wake-up call? Yeah. um, Well, I think it was... I'm trying to think. I don't know if it was the Federal Reserve or the IRS that got to me first, but um, (laughs) they they were definitely right around the same point. And I, I was, you know, a big Ron Paul fan. Um, and I remember this, you know, like right, it was right around 2008 when the housing market was crashing and, you know, all this stuff was going on. Um, I started watching a lot of Ron Paul videos and understanding how this system happened and, you know, how the government was, was working with the Fed and like how all this stuff. And then, of course, that got me to the whole history and everything. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, for the longest time I was end of the Fed. Um, but now I'm just kind of like, you know. Because nobody really cares about the Fed, like, like it's it's interesting when the housing bubble was crashing and everybody was like worried, oh, my God, that like like inflation and, and housing prices are, are crashing and, and like uh, all these banks are going like then they cared about the Federal Reserve. Then they cared about Ron Paul. Um, but now it's like inflation is at an all time high and nobody cares because they're getting they're getting, you know, a stimmy check. Right. So. They're yeah. like they're like they're basically getting the payout and they're like, yeah, I don't care. Um, yeah, the Federal <laughs> Reserve is great. Without them, we wouldn't be getting this money. Um, and it's, you know, again, all for the wrong reasons. But um, what I've come to realize is like, OK, from if you look at the libertarian perception of, yeah, private businesses should be able to do whatever they want. The Federal Reserve is a private business. Who really cares? It's not the, the, the Federal Reserve or the fact that they print money. It's the fact that we're forced to use this money. Because the government basically says, if you don't use that money, we're going to throw you in jail. If you try to use your own money, if you try to create your own money, um, Liberty Dollar is an example of one. Mm-hmm. Um, Bitcoin is an example of, you know, they, they they can't stop it, but they have locked up a lot of people over it. Um, you know, you have all these examples of people trying to not use U.S. dollars and they get thrown in jail for money laundering, counterfeiting, like all this other nonsense. Um, and I know I said the word counterfeiting and people are like, well, it's counterfeiting. That's different. Well, no, like people actually making valuable coins out of actual silver that are worth a lot more than, than the U S currency. And they're charged with counterfeiting, even though it looks nothing like it. Like it's, it's, it's insane. Um, and money laundering, um, as they say, you can convict a ham sandwich. Um, like money laundering is like anything, <laughs> anybody in the entire country could yeah. be convicted of money laundering. I guarantee you. Um, and it's like, these are the problems. It's not the, and I get it. Like it's, you know, the existence of the Federal Reserve is like influencing all these policies. Like it was probably the Federal Reserve's idea to make their money legal tender. Um, but, you know, it's it's like, it's the same thing. If you get rid of all those rules, it's like, yeah, let the Federal Reserve exist. 
they'll be printing shit money. No one will use it. The value will go to zero and like they'll be irrelevant. Um, and I, I think if you were to propose that, you'd have a much stronger argument than trying to end the Fed. Because, you know, end the Fed. Oh, what, what about my stimulus checks? versus well can i can i at least use bitcoin or gold or silver without yeah i'm stupid i'm crazy because i want to use that money but can i at least use it without you throwing me in prison most people will just say <laughs> yeah okay i don't care so i, I think yeah. it's it's like it's it's we have to be a little bit strategic here and in, in who we want to attack but yeah i mean definitely the 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 swindle of the federal reserve is pretty damn evil well i'm definitely a uh I guess, a child of the Ron Paul revolution as well. Um, actually, first time I uh, saw anything about Ron Paul, it was in a advertisement for a High Times magazine. <laughs> and nice. I was like, whoa, a politician that actually wants legalization and decriminalization? I, I've got to pay attention. And then started watching more of his videos and listening to more of what he said. And I was like, wow, this... This is not a politician. This is somebody who actually understands what's going on. Somebody who uh, who doesn't want to control little, every little aspect of my life. So that that's really what woke me up. And I'm I'm of course still in the Fed, but you do make a very valid point as far as arguing for the existence of the Fed itself. Uh, just open it up to alternative currencies, Bitcoin, even bring back gold and silver bullion. Uh, the new gold backs that are coming out, just let people compete and the best one will win through free market. Absolutely. And, and I like, I, I want to like, cause I know a lot of people are gonna be like, no, we just need to end the fed. They're evil. Like, yeah. Prosecute them for any crimes that they've committed. Like, absolutely. But at the same time, the people who created it are long gone. So um, yeah. I, I think it's, it's, it's difficult, you know, especially when it's the law and like everyone's so used to it and it's been around and like, I didn't start the Federal Reserve. I'm just the current chairman. I'm just doing what they've <laughs> always done before I even got hired here. Um, you know, it's it gets difficult to put that person in front of a jury and yeah. say, you know, yeah, this person belongs in prison. Um, but, you know, if we can at least say, yeah, let's let's take away their power and control for now and we can argue over the other stuff later. Um, I, I think, you know, that's that's definitely going to get us a lot further than if we, you know, try to just, you know, I guess, shut it down when when so many people have, you know, so many even innocent people have a vested interest, like the people who are just taking their stimmy checks. Yeah. So that leads me to. Uh, the typical question that you get asked, does he really believe Rose. that taxation is theft? <laughs> yes. Um, so I, I've, there are exceptions to every rule, but the exceptions are not necessarily because it's, because like, I mean, all taxation is theft, especially the way it's, it's, um, you know, if you look at the definition of a tax, it's, it's something that's imposed, um, which is basically something that's imposed by a threat, pay me or else something is really bad going to happen. Something really bad is going to happen to you. Um, what's interesting is if you read the U S constitution, there's two taxes in there that are authorized by the constitution. And if you consider how those were written and what they actually mean, they're, they're not really theft. And so you could say, well, they're not really taxes, but they call them taxes. Um, and so this is really important because like, we're no longer on those definitions. Like the, so, so let me give you an example. Um, 
one of those taxes is a tax on the states. Well, those those taxes are kind of like association fees in an HOA, right? You're a state. You joined the union, hopefully because you wanted to, not because you were forced to. <laughs> you joined the union and you've got to pay your dues. That's what that tax is. They call it a tax. It's levied on the states. It's apportioned by their population. But if you read it, it says very clearly it's a tax levied on the states, not on the people of the states, on the states. Now, how does the state get their money? Well, they're probably going to steal it from other people, right? That's another story. Um, but, you know, so without without those exclusions, then absolutely every single tax is theft. I've heard people say sales tax is not theft um, because you could decide not to buy that product. Well, it is theft because I have a right to buy any product that anybody else has a right to sell to me. And if neither of us want to pay a tax and neither of us want the government involved and neither of us want the government to regulate the transaction or, you know, prohibit certain things or any of these other things, we don't want the government involved at all. And the government is forcing themselves into this transaction and then saying, for, for, for all of the help that we provided to help make this transaction happen, you're going to give us 10% or 15%. That is absolutely theft. So, you know, a, a lot of people will look to those cigarette tax. Oh, you don't have to buy the cigarettes. Um, no, that's, it's still theft. And then the way that they enforce it is always, well, if you don't pay the tax, we're going to shut down your business. If you refuse to get out, we'll arrest you. We'll send men with guns to physically restrain you and put you in a cage, a metal cage. That's, that's the bottom line. It is absolutely all theft. Yeah, the initiation of the use of force. So I, I myself come from an uh, anarcho-capitalist stance. That's uh, pretty much where I've been put av- over the years. I've, I, I would say I've been pretty radicalized to that point. <laughs> you know, I, I do see the argument for constitutionalism or minarchism, um, you know, we, we definitely have to get back to limited government before we could abolish all government. Um, what, what type of libertarian exactly are you amongst the vast, <laughs> uh, I hate that question. Um, <laughs> and only because, I mean, like I used to call myself an ANCAP, um, yeah. but like I've, I've come to the realization that like, you know, first of all, we're, we're labeling ourselves and like everybody's different and nobody fits the label exactly. And so you've got, because of that, you've got like a million different definitions. So if you ask all of the ANCAPs, what is an ANCAP and what is okay or not okay in an ANCAP society, they'll all give you varying answers. Um, they might all be pretty close, but you're going to have like, someone's going to say one thing and everyone else is going to say like, whoa, no, you can't have that. Um, you know, and, and, <laughs> So, so I really don't like to wear labels, but there is one that I think is probably the closest you could get to one, which is voluntarist, which is, I think all human interaction should be voluntary. Um, and, and I think that's, that's a pretty hard word to, to shift the definition, but you know, give them a few years. I'm sure the powers that be with their giant (laughs) propaganda system will figure out a way. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's. Um, yeah, I, I really think that's it. And, you know, one of the reasons why, okay, so I don't use ANCAP anymore because like I learned kind of the history of capitalism and how, you know, like with capitalism, you could argue, well, you know, what if I don't want to use your money? 
and a, ca- a true capitalist might say, or a free market capitalist might say, well, you could barter, you could use other money, you could do whatever you want, right? Um, and so, okay, well, then why call it capitalism? Then you have free market capitalism where it's like, wait, 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 I thought capitalism was already freedom. So why do you have to prefix it with free market? So it's kind of like, okay, whatever. But again, you ask different people and they all have different definitions on this. And this yeah. is why, um, especially as I sat down and tried to figure out how to communicate with people on the left, especially socialists and communists, just using the word capitalism, like we can use it. And, you know, I think you and I would have a pretty good understanding of what what we felt it meant if we had this conversation, especially, you know, saying, OK, you identify as an ANCAP. We could use use that word in that context. But when you sit down and have that same conversation with um, with a communist or, or a Marxist or a Leninist, they have a completely like whenever you say I'm a capitalist, they're not picturing you, you know, <laughs> living in the forest bartering with your friends they're picturing you yeah. like on a throne like harassing uh you know har- harassing <laughs> renters you know if you don't pay the rent we're kicking you off the land like that's what they see as a capitalist or you know go work in my factory or we're gonna send you to the gulags like that's yeah. that's kind of what they see even though the gulags is like a left thing but anyways um yeah but but that's so, so it's, it's a language it's a language issue and so i really kind of stay away from those words but I want to bring up this really important point um, to you and to other anarchists is we we have this. Okay. So a lot of people think anarchy means we're going to completely get rid of the government. The word anarchy literally comes from the Greek, which means an without and arcos, which means rulers. So it doesn't mean without government. It means without rulers. And so what's interesting about that is, you know, a lot of people say, oh, but all government is force. All government is rulers and all this other stuff. Anarchists, most anarchists would agree if you got rid of the government completely, we like murder wouldn't be allowed. And we'd figure out some way that we would we would have like some sort of system so that if somebody was running around killing people, um, we'd be able to stop them or, you know, something like that. If somebody was running around stealing, we'd be able to stop them and redistribute, you know, the, the stuff that they had stolen. We'd figure a system out like that. So to say completely getting rid of the government Yes, in the current form, but it's not like there aren't going to be police. Like it, like I think some people use the the Watchmen. Um, what do they call it? A Watchmen yeah. Society, something like that. Neighborhood Watch type thing. Yeah, who um, watches the Watchmen? Exactly. Some people say private private police organizations. Some people say competing private. Like there's all kinds of different things. So, like to me, like to say let's just get rid of government completely is. I don't think it's again, it comes down to definitions because a lot of people will look at any of those societies and say, well, that's not government. And so, like, you know, now it's like, OK, we're arguing over the definition of what is or isn't government. Instead, we should be asking, OK, I would like to say if there is a system that works like this, nobody is forced to pay for it at gunpoint. If you don't want to if you don't want to deal with it, you don't have to deal with it. But this is how the system works. Are you OK with that? Do you have any objection to that? And if the answer is no, and there is nobody who could possibly have an objection to that, except obviously the murderers and the, and the thieves, um, then, you know, that's you could say, well, OK, fine, it's not government. And somebody else might say, well, that is government. And it's like, OK, I don't care what we call it. We all agree that this is a good system. Let's have it. Um, and so I think like the, the anarchists will mostly say what is definitely not a good system is where we all come together, we vote, and 51% says you can't do this thing or you get thrown in a cage, and that is definitely not a good system. Um, and, and of course, 
the biggest trouble is that that's the system that we have now, even though it's not it's not di- direct democracy. It's it's sort of like that. That's the system that we have now, and the people who want to get rid of that system are already a very small minority, which creates a whole set of other problems. But um, yeah, so that's I know that's a really long winded answer, but that's there's kind of there's kind of a lot of thought that goes into that. I don't think there is a short answer for for any of that, and like especially considering that you can't use like it would be so much easier to shorten everything that I just said if I used big words to like replace entire <laughs> sentences. But the problem is like yeah exactly what i said like someone's going Mm -hmm. to read that sentence and a completely different picture is going to show up in their head yeah exactly so i mean to clarify at least on my end um definitely an anarchist and i i have noticed a lot of uh people dropping labels like that which i think is probably a good idea because of the uh the, the changing definitions that have been coming just all throughout, at least the English language. I can't speak for other languages specifically. Uh, it, you got to ask yourself, is it really worth the fight to try and hold on to a word and its meaning? So I definitely, right. I definitely agree with the uh, volunteerist volunteerism. It's pretty hard to uh, change the definition of that. And even if you ask other people, you know, um, as, as far as anarchy, it's more for me anyways, it's definitely, like you said, everyone has their own definitions or their own opinions. It's more of a, uh, a ethical, um, I guess, I don't, I don't want to say delusion because a, a world without government, I honestly don't believe could ever honestly exist. Um, but it's a, uh more of a goal to look towards and get work towards smaller government. So the, the, the minarchy, which people are a lot more open right. to. So, yeah, it's, that, that's it's interesting too, because far as my opinion. like government usually says, let's ban guns. And, you know, as people who are, who are usually support gun rights, you know, some of the arguments always come out. Well, even if you ban the guns, they're not going to go away. Right. You've got the black market, you've got 3d yep. printing, um, you know, you've got all these like you can ban the guns, but they're not act- now just the bad people have them. And what I think is interesting is government is kind of the same way because guns are like a gun is an idea, right? It's like you can you can from the creation of the gun, like you can get rid of all the guns and so the idea is still there. You'll never get rid of the idea. And once the idea is there, you can always recreate it. So you get rid of all the guns. People can still make more of them tomorrow. Um, and the same thing is true with government. If you were to get rid of all the government, you'd still have people. Um, I mean, everything from government to cults, you know, to everything you have people who, who they're power hungry and they're, you know, whether it's a small group or a large group, they'll get people who listen to whatever they say, they follow them and they do, you know, and that, that becomes their lifestyle. And there are people who seek power like that. And so if there is no government, you will still have people like that. And I know this is like the warlord um, argument, like, oh, the warlords are going to come in. Um, but it's, you know, even if we were able to completely get rid of government um, and, you know, of course, not have, you know, where murder is legal and all this other stuff. You would have people who want to create it and we would not be able to just like say, oh, job's done. It's over and, and walk away <laughs> because people are going to come back and say like, oh, like I'm going to recreate it. 
And so you have to continuously be vigilant and educate people. And I think this is one of the most important things, right? Because we, especially in the Libertarian Party, they're all about getting people elected so we can reduce the size of government. But that's putting the cart before the horse. Because in order for somebody to get elected on the basis of making small government, you first have to get all these hundreds of millions of people who want more government to want less government. That's that's the first step. Because if all these people want more government, they think more government's going to solve their problems, why would they ever vote for a libertarian? We have to change that part first. And once we change that part, I mean, it's we don't we might get to the point where government starts shrinking on its own and libertarians never even get elected. Because, you know, you have like all the politicians, they still have to pander to get elected. They still have to deal with all these giant protests that are coming after them. And when more and more people have more and more resentment for government and the size of government, they're not just going to sit here and let the government trample us the way they have been. More people are going to rise up and say, you can't do this. And so even if the libertarians never get elected, especially to, to higher offices, you will have, if we start shifting into that mindset, you will have more resistance from the general public to the government growing and and you will see the government start to shrink. Um, and of course, I, I think this kind of leads us into like this whole like, you know, um, good times make soft men, soft men make bad times, bad times make, you know, the, the whole cycle of that. And I think that's absolutely true. And once the government pisses off the general public enough, they'll start resisting. But then once they start resisting, the government's going to back down. It might shrink a little bit. And then people are just going to be like, okay, problem solved. And, you know, <laughs> and then the government's going to be like, hey, nobody cares anymore. Let's start growing again. Um, and so it's like, I don't, I think that's why, um, in my opinion, it's never going to go away is once it starts, when it, once it shrinks to a comfortable point, like most people are just going to be like, eh, it's not worth fighting anymore. It's, it's already not involved in my, uh, in my life. So, um, but if we could get people more interested to, to a degree to say like, hey, you know what, the smallest human rights violation, I don't care how far away from from my home it is, is a human rights violation and we shouldn't stand for that. Um, I think there is, you know, maybe there is a possibility to continue um, forcing that smaller and smaller. Well, and that's why I kind of think it's important for the libertarians to have a national candidate to run for president uh, even though the idea of a libertarian president is almost an oxymoron it like the the best libertarian president could either do nothing or just start chipping away at everything and making it smaller but i mean beyond too many people uh, such as yourself i can't imagine too many libertarians wanting to run for a national office you know um which yeah. leads me to ask how how did your presidential run go and what did you learn from it um i learned a lot um the, so it was interesting and i think it was it was you know as far as i didn't get i still think it was a worthwhile venture because you know what we did do is hopefully and in my opinion i think we did succeed at this was we, we were able to dominate the stage between myself and some of the other candidates early on to say this primary, this this libertarian primary is going to be about really shutting things down. It's not going to be this half-assed libertarianism where a little bit of tyranny is okay. Um, it's not going to be like that at all. And we think we, we successfully made sure that we didn't have 
um, you know, some of these, you know, ex governors from other states who were, you know, not very libertarian at all. Um, you know, uh, there was, um, uh, what's his name from, from Rhode Island? Um, I can't think of his name right now. Um, but, uh, you know, and again, like really nice guy, although he voted for the Patriot Act the first time around. Um, so, you know, he, he wasn't a libertarian. He, he was basically, you know, he, he was a nice guy. Like, I can't say anything bad about him. I can't say he was an asshole, but he was a tyrant. He supported big government. Um, and so, you know, to have a person like that, it would just be another Gary Johnson. And again, Gary Johnson, I don't know. He's kind of, he's, he's less of a nice guy. Um, he's, he's got, I, I don't like to talk shit about people too much. So if I say he's less of a nice guy, fill in the blanks with whatever you want. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, he was, he was half-assed on things. He was pushing for the fair tax, which, you know, no libertarian president should be pushing for any kind of new tax, like even to replace an old tax. Cause let's be honest, mm-hmm. we'll add the new tax now and get rid of the other ones next year. And like, no, that never happens. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I, I think we did a good job of setting the stage about what this, um, what this was supposed to be about. And we, we kind of, we pissed off a lot of people on the way because we started doing these presidential debates the the libertarian party itself did not want to get involved at all. So we started doing these things outside of the libertarian party and we had all of the libertarians within the party getting really excited about it. And a lot of them were still calling for Amash who at the time I really didn't have a lot of respect for, but I did uh, grow some respect for him, you know, after I started like paying attention to, to the things that he was saying. Um, not a hundred percent on board with all of, all of the things, but I, I think he is a pretty good guy and I think he is pretty libertarian, right? I'm not going to like, I won't give him 100%, but, you know, I'll, I'll give him credit and, and help him along and, and hope that he improves, um, which is another thing us libertarians need to do yeah. is when somebody is not a real, like, yes, prevent them from running for an office. But if they're not 100%, you don't need to kick them out of the party. Help them along. Um, but if they're not planning, if, if they don't want to grow, then you can kick them out. But, you know, help them along. Um, yeah. So, but but yeah, I think like the the probably the biggest thing that I learned from that entire experience was learning how to communicate with mostly the left, because I think the the right is we're already very sympathetic with the right, right? They support gun rights. They support lower taxes, smaller government. Um, but the left was really difficult. And my most of my campaign was actually spent communicating with people outside of the Libertarian Party. I wanted to reach people who had no idea what the Libertarian Party was, who were not libertarians, because if we're just if we're just, you know, um, promoting ourselves to libertarians, it's like they're, they're all going to vote libertarian anyway. <laughs> Who cares? What's the point of all this? Yeah. And we had, an, you know, a year and a half, two years before um, the nomination process that we were like, how do we take advantage of this time? Like it, it, libertarians don't care. They're not going to vote until the convention. They're going to hear everybody speak. OK, fine. What can we do in this year and a half leading up to it? And it was try to reach to, to everybody outside. So that's what I try to do. Some of the other candidates did some of that, too. Um, but in actually doing that, learning to communicate with people, learning like what their actual concerns were, like kind of how we started out this conversation, you were asking about like, how do we teach these people about freedom? They don't really care about freedom. They think they already have freedom. What they're concerned about is they're concerned about the guy who's like standing over their shoulder, oppressing them. And, and, you know, how do we solve that? How do we take the pain away before we can give them freedom? Right. Um, and, and, that was that was really eye opening to me. That's changed a lot of how I think about um, kind of how I how I um, how I address my communication, not so much my philosophy, but how I address my communication and how do I tie my philosophy into that? 
So um, I think that was amazing. And it's something that I try to teach to a lot of other libertarians because I think it's it's a super important um, understanding to have to to really make this movement grow. Well, and within uh, the circles that I'm in, you know, libertarians across the whole country, uh, that's a lot of big infighting right now, messaging, Um, especially with uh, the last presidential campaign. There were some things that um, Jorgensen came out and said that some people didn't like. Some people said it's not that big of a deal. And so there's definitely a big... Um, I wouldn't even say an argument, a, a debate within, you know, all of these parties across all of these state parties across the country uh, about messaging. And I honestly, I think yeah. you bring up a very good point of obviously trying to reach non-libertarians because we're around each other all the time. And, you know, lot lots of libertarians hang out with each other. So why do we need to keep preaching the same idea? boring ideals um and boring because nothing's ever new to us you know it's uh it's boring in the sense that we don't get to hear this for the first time and right still love it obviously but it's uh it's just not like when hearing hear it someone, for the first time when you time hear someone again. tell you something that you've already heard a million times it's like it's like yeah yeah i know please don't take a half an hour explaining that to me <laughs> yeah, um, exactly definitely been there but but you bring up a really good point you know like people talk about um messaging a lot and this is one thing um so i actually started um three single issue organizations outside of the libertarian party and i have plans for a lot more but i'm doing this as an experiment um, to see how well this is going to succeed. Um, and, and as far as the messaging and the feedback and everything that we're getting, it's, you know, it's all been positive. It's all been really amazing with people who are not libertarians, people who are left, people who are right. Um, but what, what, what's interesting to me is libertarians are always talking about decentralization. And if you pick one candidate to represent all libertarianism, and they're only going to be around for like, you know, three, more than eight months, you know, whatever, of the year uh, out of every four years um, to promote libertarianism. It's like we're, that's the complete antithesis of what we want, right? This is centralization. It is let's all come together and pick one person who can convey all of our voices together. And we're not going to agree like that. But if we could all say, okay, look, this is a different libertarian message that I really resonate with. Maybe it's even my most important issue. Like, yeah, legalized cannabis is great. And I'm, you know, 100% libertarian, but I think we need to focus on taxes or I think we need to focus on gun rights because that's the most important issue, even though I agree with all the rest of them, right? Um, And it's like, now we have this fighting over, you know, oh, the Libertarian Party wants to have a Second Amendment message, but that's not the most important thing. And you ha- now you have people fighting over, like, should we talk about cannabis? Should we talk about guns? Should we talk about gay rights? Like, all of these different things, when it really, like, we should be saying, like, guys, we don't all have to agree. If you support gun rights, take your money, donate it to a, a libertarian gun rights organization, and get behind that, support it, volunteer for it, and push that all year round. And if you if you think cannabis or LGBT, like, whatever, whatever issue you want to support, go put your support there. We don't all have to agree and and this is like this is I think one of the issues that's preventing people from like people don't want to donate to the party because they're like I don't want it to be used on a on a um, on a, a message that I don't agree with. 
but we're never all going to agree on what that message is. So let's let's stop fighting for this um, this this centralization where we all have to agree. Let's just start like you know let's let's break up into smaller groups and say these are the issues we want to focus on. Let's focus on those issues. Let's make it clear that this is an organization outside of the Libertarian Party. And then at the end of the day, we come along and say, hey, you know, we've, we've got, because we're only focusing on one issue, because we're only focusing on, 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 you know, maybe cannabis, and because we don't talk about abortion or gun rights or all these other things that turn people off, we haven't chased away the audience. We've grown a, a, like five, a mailing list of 5 million people who are, who are just, all they care about is cannabis. And then we tell them, hey, there are all these great Libertarian candidates who will support uh, who, who support cannabis as a human right, go vote for them. And then you have the gun rights organization that says, hey, you guys really like gun rights? You want constitutional carry all over the country? Go vote for these people. They're going to make it happen. And for, for every single libertarian issue, you have something like this, and you're not chasing people away with things that they disagree on. And I think that is, um, it's still an experiment. Um, so I'm still working on building the proof that this works. But I mean, like everything that I've seen is like telling me, yes, every person I've talked to about this stuff is telling me, yes. So so hopefully this works and it inspires other libertarians to kind of like pick up and say, hey, this is a great thing. We'll start more organizations. We'll start doing the same strategy and, and really start, you know, this this is the grassroots um, movement that we need to really make things happen here. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I, there, there is tons of division uh, I'm sure you know, like within the party about messaging, some people want to focus on this, that, and they're all worthy causes. I, I would, I would say, um, there's a time and a place for certain messaging. Um, I'm not going to talk about legalizing sex work in front of a, a family, uh, a, a crowd of families, the county you fair. know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, there's a time and a place. So Definitely, uh, single single issue campaigns I think is a really interesting step, and I'll I'll be uh, looking forward to see how they turn out. Definitely. Um, so let let me ask you a question I've been pondering myself. It's uh, kind of a controversial uh, question, and I, I've been asking almost everyone I know that's at at least familiar with libertarianism or the party. Uh, feel free not to or. If you don't want to answer, it's okay. But should uh, LP National be disbanded so we can use those resources at the state level and lower? Um, I wouldn't say so. I would say, you know, kind of based on on what I just explained about decentralizing. I think the party, even the state parties, the state and the national parties, their only job should be ballot access. And everything that happens outside of that is basically activism. And that should all be done outside of the party in cooperation with the party whenever possible, but outside of the party. Um, and kind of, you know, in, in getting to this conclusion, I, I did look at how the Democrats and the Republicans you know, run their game because at the end of the day, they're winning. They're doing a great job. And I, I like, you know, they're not, they didn't just get it right by luck. I know they're, they're pumping billions yeah. of dollars into market research and all this other stuff. Um, and if you look at how they operate, they're very much like that. Like you don't have 
too many people running around saying, hey, can I sign you up for the Democrat Party? Will you come to our convention and, and be a delegate and all this other stuff? No. But you see people out there, you know, pushing the fight for 15, pushing Medicare for all, push, pushing, um, you know, you've got the, the gun owners of America, you've got the, the NRA, like all these organizations. And a lot of them are very closely tied to the parties themselves, some unofficially even more. But, um, you know, that's that's kind of their strategy. And so they don't do a whole lot through the party itself. And I, I mean, they, they do through the party itself. And, you know, but I think that's also the fact that they're they're, you know, millions of times bigger that like money that does go through those organizations is is a factor of that. But if you look at the money that goes through their their um, their splinter organizations of, you know, all these all these causes and issues and, and packs and <laughs> let's call them money laundering organizations <laughs> for short. Um, <laughs> like <laughs> it's it's you know, this is this is how they control the voting population. Like, I get it. A lot of people come in there and they vote Democrat and they vote Republican and they vote straight line, straight ticket because of that. Um, but I think that's more because of the issues that, that they believe are good for them and all of the organizations that have been telling them to vote um, Democrat. Like, for example, um, a lot of minorities vote Democrat because they think the Democrats are good for minorities. The Democrat Party is not good for minorities. And if you knew what the Democrat Party was doing, you would never believe that. But you have all these other organizations out there that are basically fronting for the Democrat Party that are not the Democrat Party that are saying, yeah, vote for the Democrats because, you know, they're, they're going to stop all this police oppression. And, you know, they're going to they're going to you know make sure you have you have fair wages and equal rights and all this other stuff. And really, like the Democrats are just as bad as the Republicans when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, it's it's. It's I that that's kind of my opinion. We should we should not put so much pressure on the party to do things. We should just let them do ballot access. Um, that's something that they are really good at. I think that's something that they're really that should be their own intention. But then we should reserve all the rest of the um, um, activism to, you know, a decentralized system where we vote with our dollars. We vote with our hours and we, we donate and volunteer on the, the projects that we believe in. Um, and, and, you know, and, and just do it that way. And there's actually like even um, so this is a big issue that comes up all the time, right? That um, we ha we host our debates and there's not great video production quality of our debates. because It's usually someone in the back of the room with a cell phone. You can't hear anything. You can't see anybody, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, there's been an organization that that basically started building um, a, a package of production equipment so that we could um, they could, you know, create that for the Libertarian Party. and um, in doing so, what would be interesting is not to donate to the Libertarian Party and then hope that you elect, you know, because this, this is the hope, right? Like we're going to elect the right people who are going to do the right thing with the money. And and it's it's not necessarily a right or a wrong thing. It's the thing that we want them to do with the money, right? And instead, mm. if we just said, hey, look, I'm going to start a new fund that says, you know, all this money is going to create a campaign um for like let's, let's just say it's an advertising campaign right so if you support this idea you donate the money into this into this organization we create an ad that is a libertarian party advertisement and you donate more money into it and then the video is done and then people vote on it and you say is, does this represent the libertarian party maybe you have an lnc vote maybe you have like a you know every every delegate gets a vote something like that i don't know 
Um, but you have something like that. And then the people who think that's a great message, they donate to it again so that they can buy airtime with it. And so now it's kind of out of the hands of the Libertarian Party itself to push these messages. And you might have competing organizations who are saying like, yeah, this is what the Libertarian Party is about. And I know there's like legal issues because technically the party itself owns the logo and the name and all this stuff. And there's some stuff to be worked out. But yeah. I think that's that would be a really awesome system. And it would also be a great display of us living the example that we want to see, right? Because that's that's the example. We don't want to pay taxes to a central system who's going to decide how much goes to the police and how much goes to the school. We want to be able to take our own money and buy whatever services we want to use. And so why don't why shouldn't we start creating that example within the party itself so that we can like so when people say, well, where has a libertarian society ever worked? We can say within the libertarian party. Wow, that's a really interesting point. I'm I'm gonna have to say I agree with you. That's uh, not only is it tested and proven to work amongst these larger parties, but it just seems like the more libertarian choice to make by right. going after these single issues um, with the divide uh, the diversity within the Libertarian Party. There's so many great people that would be amazing on one issue. Some people aren't great on all issues. And so if you just got them focused on one single issue, got them out there working for just that, it would do just wonders. Absolutely. And, and you know, there's um, I've uh, I was talking to a woman who was um, it was at a it was at a pro cannabis rally. And she was like, she's like, I love you. I love your platform. I love I love everything. But what, what's up with libertarians and like sex work? They're always trying to legalize sex work. And <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, yeah, what's wrong with that? And she's like, well, I have a daughter and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, I'm not advocating that your daughter should go out and become a prostitute. I'm just saying, you know, if she did, do you, would you want people to like lock her up in a cage or, and, and destroy the rest of her life or you know, just maybe it's a phase she grows yeah. out of it or, you know, and I'm sure, you know, because you care about your daughter, you'd probably never let that happen in the first place. And and that's the story. Right. Um, but like, you know, still she didn't she she that was like a very um, interesting issue for her. Like, that's what she was fixated on. And because of that, like and we're still great friends. Right. But and, you know, and she does actually support my campaigns and everything. But that that still like it creates like a space in between us. And, yeah. you know, if we didn't know each other that well, then, you know, it would probably be a bigger space. And I've seen people say like, oh, that's a deal breaker. I don't want to hear from you. You're disgusting. Get away from me. Um, you know, that kind of stuff happens. And so what's what's interesting is if you have a single issue organization and you're pushing cannabis legalization and then somebody shows up, uh, well, well, what about legalizing prostitution? You're going to say, well, um, we don't have a position. I can give you my position on that, but but we as an organization don't have a position on that. And so now you're not chasing people away because I guarantee you like I mean, it's 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 a fact of statistics. If you say like half of the country wants to legalize cannabis. OK, um, now out of the, how many of those want to support, um, you know, constitutional carry? Oh, you just cut your audience in half. Now, now you got a quarter of the country. OK, how many of those want to support legalizing prostitution? Oh, now you're down to an eight and you keep cutting it down. And if you think about it, this is exactly why libertarians keep getting one percent in the elections because you're taking that 50% on every issue and you're cutting it in half and half and half and you end up with this little sliver of the pie 
and that's all we get. And when you when you separate the issues, like fight for fifteen, go and walk into a fight for fifteen organization. How many of them support Medicare for all? I don't know. Maybe maybe more of them because it's it's a pretty left organization, but not a hundred percent. Maybe some of them have you know different ideas or, or other things. How many of them support more taxes? How many of them support lower taxes? How many support unions? There's division within those groups. And of course, there's overlap, but there's division. But they don't talk about any of those issues. Why? Because they're there to talk about one thing. And because of that, they get all the people who are just focused on that. That's all they care about. And, and it's a smooth running operation because of that. There's no infighting because of that. We don't talk about that here. We don't talk about other issues. Just this. Um, so, yeah, I think it is extremely powerful. Well, and that would also open people up to be able to be exposed to these other ideas in a, in a more controlled manner instead of just forcing all of it down on them at one time, which I, right. I think with libertarianism is a, a, a big deal because, yeah, a lot of these ideas are still very radical and or at least perceived to be radical. So if you're overwhelmed and turned off by it, then you probably won't come back to a libertarian meeting or a libertarian rally. Right. Or just be like, oh, those crazy libertarians, you know. So... Yeah, it's exactly really interesting. Yeah, you're you're how how do you eat an elephant, or how do you yeah. one piece at a time, a one bite at a time? <laughs> um, it's it's yeah. I mean that's that is that is another big problem trying to just force feed the entire platform, and it's like whoa, that's a lot, man. Uh, I was just uh, I was just interested in your position on this, and uh, I got to get back to what I was doing. I just want to smoke a joint, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So. I've got to ask, how is your uh, current campaign for Texas governor going? And correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't you running it from Mexico? Yes. So, um, uh, oh, man, that's a, that's a whole other topic on its own. Um, <laughs> I am in Mexico. Um, so the the campaign is going great. But what I would say is that in this campaign, I'm focusing less on campaign messaging and more on the single issue messaging um, because I want to see how this works. Um, and, and this is kind of the experiment, um, but also because, you know, the, because the Libertarian Party itself is kind of, you know, um, they, they don't want to get involved in any kind of debates or productions or anything else until they have an actual nominee. Um, you know, they're not interested in having debates. Um, and in fact, there was only there, there was only one other candidate running against me and, and apparently he's dropped out. So it's not like I can have a debate at this point. Um, but, you know, we are talking about setting up a, a cross state panel of some other uh, gubernatorial candidates who are running in other states. So hopefully we'll have we'll have something on that. Um, I think that'll be an interesting it'll be more of a discussion um, than than uh, uh, debate. And, you know, maybe we can kind of, you know, learn from each other about what works in our states, you know, what, how, you know, hey, introduce this in your state because that's what we have here and it works great. Um, you know, we'll see some interesting things going on like that. Um, but yeah, so so until there's an actual nomination process, I'm, I'm not going to put, um, you know, again, kind of like the presidential campaign, I'm not going to put a whole lot of energy into um, uh, dealing with libertarians, you know, advertising, messaging with them. Uh, you know, hopefully what's going to happen is, you know, at the convention, I'm going to present to them 
everything that I was able to accomplish with my single issue organizations, which of course are going to be um, all, you know, telling all of their supporters and followers to, to vote for me. Um, and they're also going to be telling all of their followers and supporters to vote for other libertarians, whether they're, you know, running for city council or, or county commissioner or something or governor of another state, um, you know, U.S. reps, state reps, everything. Um, so, you know, hopefully that hopefully I can sit in front of them um, at the convention with some really great numbers and say, this is what we were able to do. If you give me the nomination, you know, even if you don't give me the nomination, you're still going to have this. But if you nominate somebody who I don't, who, you know, doesn't really fit the profile of this organization, then of course, we're not going to endorse them. Um, so, you know, at least, you know, pick somebody if you want these organizations to support uh, your candidate, at least make sure if it's not me, it's a candidate um, that that follows all those. And, uh, you know, if they if they pick someone who follows all those things, I'd be happy to use those organizations to support them, too, because um, really <laughs> I've I've I see people out there and they're like, oh, this guy's just trying to make money and, and get famous. And I'm really not like if somebody else wants to do it <laughs> and they're. They're, you know, just as principled and they share all the same values enough that I would use my, um, you know, the, the the work that I've been building to endorse them. You know, I'd be happy to do that. Um, but um, uh, yeah, that's th this is really the big experiment. This is the real focus is the single issue organizations, because that is what I see more important than the campaign itself, because, you know, as you know, Trying to talk to the media, especially for like larger, uh, larger campaigns, getting any kind of media attention is next to impossible unless you spend a lot of money on it. Um, and it's just it's just not worth the effort um, for such a little return when we could be doing things that are so much greater that will last for years and years and years to come. So that's that's where I'm really focusing the energy. Changing the culture is more important. Changing uh, Absolutely. the changing the individual. I mean, that's the only reason I've ever been uh, supportive of a presidential candidate, really, like I said before, is just because it it brings the message more to more people and grows the party. Um, regardless of however people feel, I mean, there, there's uh, like the uh, Mises Caucus has been bringing in tons of people. Um, like I said, all feelings aside, just based on strictly numbers, like they've been spreading the message and that's impressive. So, um, I'm going to change gears just a little bit to ask you about one of your most controversial, um, I guess, single issue, uh, campaigns that you have, and that's legalized pineapple pizza. I knew How that, did that whole thing start. Um, <laughs> Man, it, it really just kind of started as like, you know, I saw people were joking around about it and I, I personally love pineapple on pizza. So, um, uh, yeah, I just turned it into a thing. And it was funny because shortly thereafter, uh, I, I found out that the president of Iceland actually said that there should be a ban on on pineapple pizza. Um, <laughs> and then there was a lot of backlash over it and he retracted his statement. And so I kind of created this this. Um, this website legalizedpineapplepizza.org, which which was like documenting all this stuff um and then even funnier was the department of homeland security put out a memo and like it's it's literally like it's it's real i didn't even want to believe it was real it's real you get and i have the link to it i have the actual document on, the, on that website and it says the russians 
might be infiltrating our social media and convincing us to fight over little insignificant things like whether or not pineapple <laughs> belongs on pizza. Oh and, my lord! I was just like, oh, that's that's too funny. Um, so yeah, it's it's, but at the same time, it's also a great metaphor for legalizing cannabis because you know I may not agree with what you put on your pizza, but I will defend to the death your right to eat it. Um, you know, my pizza, my yeah. choice. Um, this this is like it's it's a great metaphor, right? I'm not harming anybody by eating pineapple pizza. So if you're sitting at the table next to me, why do you care what I order? Um, and it's, yeah. it, I, I think it's, it, it focuses more on the underlying philosophy in a fun way that doesn't get people's immediate um, uh, em, em, emotional repulsion, at least not, uh, at least not seriously. A lot of people, oh, that's disgusting yeah. um, as a joke. That should be banned. <laughs> um, but I, I think it creates like, you know, it creates a great discussion where you can actually, without talking about the issue of drugs, you can actually say, well, if I'm not bothering you with my pizza, what, why do you care? And like most people are like, yeah, yeah, no, I get it. I'm not, I, I don't really hate pineapple on pizza. Fine. If you want to eat it, fine. I don't care. Um, and like once, once they're in that attitude, then you can just say like, well, don't you have the same thought about cannabis? I mean, it's not like if I'm smoking it, what do you care? Right. Um, and it's I just think it's a great it's a great way to bring up those conversations and, and kind of um, show the parallels and, and like actually show the philosophy instead of just, you know, yeah. cannabis is bad. It should be banned versus cannabis. I like cannabis. It should be legal, um, you know, and th which is actually the so. So one of my organizations is legalized happiness, which is very much that like so we're, we're fighting for cannabis legalization the same as everybody else. But our spin is that we're not saying because it has medicinal value. We're not saying because you can tax it because we're actually saying the opposite. You can't tax it. Um, it's, a, it's a basic human right. It is our right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And if this is how I pursue happiness, as long as I'm not harming anybody else, it is a basic human right. And what's amazing is that most of the people who are already fighting for legalization, like instantly get that. And it's like, Okay, so now you're thinking like a libertarian instead of like some some, you know, oh, it has to have medicinal value um, or, oh, we have to be able to get rich off of it. Um, and you, you take those two out of the equation and now they're thinking on a philosophical level. And I think it's really an amazing shift in in, you know, how we should be pushing our our um, our beliefs. Wow, that's honestly just really impressive and one of the biggest reasons I wanted to have you on because I think you're doing some of the most important work for the, the Liberty movement in general. And I've, I've followed you ever since, um, well, it was a little bit before, uh, 2020 is when I found you. Of course, taxation of, is theft is how I found you. Um, and ever since then, just keeping an eye on you here and there and just seeing what you, what you've been doing, um, with the insulin, with the speeches and now getting you to come on and explain, you know, these single issue campaigns and everything it, I'm just highly impressed. So I think, although I do personally find, uh, pineapple on pizza disgusting, uh, <laughs> I will defend anyone's right to the death to be able to eat their pineapple on their pizza. Awesome. So on that, I think we're going to wrap it up here. So let people know where uh, you can find them and where you could get one of those awesome taxation theft hats. Sure. So um, 
You can find me at danforfreedom.com. Uh, there's links to all my social media uh, accounts there. Um, it's got some information about the campaign. Um, I will be adding links, of course, to all these single issue organizations once they once they come a little bit further along. Um, it should actually be in the next week or two. Um, and um, yeah, just find me there. I'm on. I, I've kind of shifted away from Facebook more on Twitter now because Facebook has been censoring everything. Um, I have, uh, I have my podcast, which I, which I do, um, less often now on, on YouTube because they have been censoring me also, um, and it's <laughs> youtube.com slash taxation theft. Um, but of course you can always go to taxation info and there's, um, there's some great information there, uh, for how to not pay the income tax, which is a really great trick that I learned and I'm not paying any income tax. Um, and there's also, that's where you can buy these really awesome hats. And there's actually a newer edition hat, which I don't even have yet that's on the store, but it's actually got like the, the actual taxation theft logo, um, on it instead of just black and yellow. So, um, it looks really awesome. And, uh, uh, um, I'm still, I'm still waiting for mine. Um, but, uh, you can get one before (laughs) me. Um, but yeah, it's an amazing shop that we have over there and, and everything that goes in there, every purchase you makes, uh, you make, of course, goes to support all the work that I'm doing. So, um, you can do that. You can also donate on, on the website, danforfreedom.com, um, and at any of the organization sites as, as they start popping up. Perfect. Well, I will make sure and link to all of that down in the uh, description of the video. And, uh, you know, for our blind viewers that are only listening to the audio version, it will be in the episode description as well. Uh, for the taxationistheft.info, I actually have an affiliate link. So I'll make sure and throw that in there and awesome. you'll be able to tell that everyone came from me. So make sure and go over there, yeah. support, and make sure and get this message out, everyone. It's super important. But thank you for coming on. It was a wonderful conversation, and we'll make sure to get you back on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. Let's see. And the recording.